When Helen Peters was sent to the hospital after she broke her hip in a fall, her husband Philip would have to stay home alone in the house that the two had lived in for over three decades. Philip's kind neighbors made sure that he was taken care of too. They would invite him over for dinner every night that his wife was away so that he didn't have to eat alone. When Philip didn't show up one night for dinner, however, his neighbors concerned would go to check on him. And it was then that they would find Philip's lifeless body, beaten to death. But they would find no clues as to who murdered Philip Peters. Soon, neighbors would notice strange sounds and smells coming from the vacant home, and lights would seem to turn themselves on and off. By all appearances, the murder of Philip Peters seemed to have been committed by a ghost, and even newspapers reported the crime as the Denver Ghost House Slayings. The truth in this case, though, is far more crazy than anyone could have ever saw coming. Hi, I'm your host, Missy, and I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Stories with plot twists, shocking endings, and unbelievable truths. Trust me when I tell you that this story is nuts. Seventy-three-year-old Philip Peters was retired from the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad in Colorado and lived at home with his wife, Helen, for over three decades. Their children had grown, and now Helen and Philip spent their time enjoying their later years. Philip was still an active member of the Denver Guitar Club and even gave guitar and mandolin lessons. Unfortunately, Helen would suffer from a fall that would result in her breaking her hip, and she would be required to stay at St. Anthony's Hospital while she recovered. This meant, though, that Philip would have to stay at their home alone. But his neighbors, who all loved the Peters and regarded them as the neighborhood grandparents, would invite Philip over for dinner nightly, so that he would not have to eat alone. On the evening of October 17, 1941, however, Philip failed to show up for dinner as he usually did. His neighbors, who were growing increasingly concerned, would go to check on their friend, only to discover that Philip Peters had been beaten to death, suffering over 37 blows by a broken pistol and a cast iron shaker. And real quick, just to let you know, a cast iron shaker is a tool used to restroke a fire or to remove ashes from a wood stove. The murder baffled police because... Philip Peters had no known enemies and was a very well-liked member of his community. The windows and the doors were locked inside the house, and it hadn't appeared as if there was a break-in. Philip was found only an hour or so after his murder, and there was absolutely no trace of where the murderer had gone. He had just vanished. At least, that's how it appeared. When Helen Peters recovered, she moved back into her home bringing a housekeeper to stay with her. As soon as the two women moved in, however, they began to notice that something strange was going on inside of the Peters' home. Things in the home would be out of place, food would be missing, and the women would hear strange noises. Both became extremely uncomfortable, and the housekeeper, believing that the home was haunted, 
would quickly move out. Soon after, Helen would move out as well, moving in with her son in Grand Junction. The house would sit empty over the course of the next few months, but neighbors would often notice strange sounds and smells coming from its walls. They would also report lights would turn on and off, and one neighbor even attempted to visit the house with a baseball bat in order to protect herself from whatever was inside. Concerned, neighbors often called police to report the suspicious activity, but police, who would visit the house, could not determine the cause of such strangeness. In July of 1942, two police officers named Roy Bloxham and Bill Jackson decided that they were tired of receiving phone calls from concerned neighbors. Instead, they decided they would stake out the Peters' home and see if they could finally figure out what was actually going on there. During their stakeout, officers suddenly spotted what they thought was a man inside of what was supposed to be an empty home. But as they ran inside, they found no one. That is until they heard a noise coming from upstairs. Following the sound, they would open a closet door. There, inside of the closet, they saw two legs dangling from the house's attic. Quickly, the officers grabbed the legs and pulled. The man in the attic was a man named Theodore Edward Conies. Born in Illinois in the 1880s, Theodore suffered a rough childhood that was ridden with illness. He was so sick, in fact, that doctors had told Theodore that he more than likely would not make it to his 18th birthday. Doctors were wrong, though, and Theodore would move to Denver, Colorado in 1910. Due to Theodore's consistent health condition, however, he could not seem to keep a job, and his entire adult life, he was often homeless. Shortly before Philip Peter's death in 1941, he had met Theodore through the Colorado Guitar Club, and Theodore, like most of the people who had met Philip Peters, took a liking to him. It was for this reason that weeks before Philip's death, Theodore had decided that he would stop at the Peters household in order to ask for money and food. Because Philip had been at the hospital visiting Helen that day, no one answered the door. And Theodore, instead of leaving, decided to break into the house and steal what he needed. Once he was in the house, Theodore found the closet, which led to the attic. And it was here that Theodore would decide to stay, making a nest for himself, without Helen or Philip even knowing that they had a house guest. Five weeks later, when Theodore assumed that Philip was out for his nightly neighborly dinner, he went down to raid the refrigerator, just like usual. It was then when Philip came up behind him. Seeing that there was a stranger in his home, Philip Peters would hit him with his cane. Theodore would fight back, though. Using an old pistol he found in the house, he would beat Philip until the pistol broke into pieces. He would then grab the cast iron shaker and continue to beat Philip until he was dead. He would wash the cast iron shaker and then crawl back into the attic, where he would continue to live until July of 1942, nine months later. When an officer climbed into the tiny attic space that Theodore Conies had occupied, he discovered that not only had Theodore not bathed the entire time he lived in the attic, but he'd also collected his own waste there as well. The officer vomited from the stench in the room. After he came down from the attic, he was quoted to have said, 
a man would have to be a spider to make it up there that long. From that moment on, Theodore Edward Conies was known as the Denver Spider-Man. Theodore Conies would claim that he did not intend to kill Philip Peters and that it had just happened. He would be charged and convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison in October of 1942. Theodore was sent to the state penitentiary in Cannon City. On May 16, 1967, Theodore Conies would die in prison at the age of 84. He was buried in an undisclosed location nearby, and his burial was paid for by the warden of the prison. This story floats around often, especially during the month of October. And of course, what could be more terrifying than finding out that someone is living in your attic? I can't even imagine. I want to know what you think of this story. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group. It's facebook.com backslash this story is nuts podcast. Also, if you have a suggestion for the podcast, if you have a story that you want to share, whether it's a personal story or a story you want heard on the show, give me give me an email. Send me an email. It's thisstoryisnuts at gmail.com. I have to thank Chris for this week's suggestion. This was a really good one. And hey, come back next week or maybe even before then. Of course, I have told you that there will be bonus episodes coming at you kind of surprisingly, uh, whenever I get to them, I do my best. But for sure, an all new episode will come out next Wednesday and it drops at midnight. So every single Wednesday at midnight, you can check out an all new episode of This Story Is Nuts. And until I see you again, stay nutty, my friends.
This Story's Nuts was written and produced by Missy Reese with music by Logan Reese off of Groovepad. <laughs>